Hello, I'm Natasha Good. I'm co-head of Freshfields Tech Practice, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest Freshfields TQ podcast. Against the backdrop of huge investments into tech businesses last year, and indeed some significant exits as well, including by DSPAC transaction and IPOs when markets were active in 2021, we're going to look at shifting patterns in how and when founder-led growing companies are raising money and who from. We're going to explore some of the key implications of more diversified players coming into earlier funding rounds, and we'll touch on investment themes across US, Asia and Europe. I'm here with two of our foremost experts, Nigel Gleason, a partner in our Asia practice, and Andrea Basham, who's based in our New York office. Nigel, I might come to you first. If you think about what you're seeing in tech investing in Asia and you look forward to 2022, what two or three themes would you pick out for us? Thanks, Natasha. I think it's, from our perspective, sitting in Asia, it's more of the same. Volumes remain high. Investor interest remains very strong. I think thematically, we'll see investors continue to chase growth. What that means practically for them in terms of jurisdictions may be a pivot from China to the wider Asia region. Obviously, a number of investors have have noted potential headwinds in the broader China market. We're still seeing high volumes there. It's still a very popular place to invest. But the, the regulatory scrutiny that's increased, that we see across markets globally, plus some of the, the friction at times on the US side, which is certainly impacting the way investors and, and issuers think about exits into the US, which has been a very popular destination, will certainly mean that we see investors pivoting, to steal a word that's a, a couple of years old now. Aligned with that is a focus on growth markets or emerging markets. I'm based in Singapore. We see a lot of activity across Indonesia and have for, for many years and through to Vietnam and Malaysia and markets which certainly aren't as mature perhaps as China. But again, I think our investor clients, particularly on the VC and the fund side, potentially see more upside in valuation and growth for businesses if they're going to put their capital to work. So I think we will thematically see capital to continue to chase growth into what we would call growth markets, others may call it emerging markets. But I'm, I'm sure that's something that you, Natasha, are potentially seeing across Europe and also Andrea across the US and maybe down to Latin America. I'd like to hear from Andrea, but we might come back to a couple of these points in more detail that you've raised, Nigel. Andrea, how is it for you? You are there in the very deep US market. Tell us what you're seeing. Well, Nigel said the word pivot, which is, I think, what we've seen a lot of over the last 24 months or so. You know, I think like in every market at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of uncertainty around valuations and there was a pause that we all in the market feared might last for some sort of significant duration. We filled the pause with more creative structures or alternative structures than the traditional growth equity investments for a short period of time. Convertible notes were very popular at a time to bridge companies when valuations were uncertain. And then very quickly, the market pivoted again. I think pandemic notwithstanding, the investment community saw a lot of opportunities and 
We saw, of course, companies that were succeeding in part due to the pandemic um, come across as very important and interesting investment opportunities. And so the market kind of took off again. What I see for 2022 is what we have really seen developing over the last quarter of 2021, which is that the players like you and Nigel both referenced are becoming more diversified in this space in terms of the investment community. And the types and stage of investment are also becoming more diversified. We're, of course, seeing a lot of traditional growth equity investments in preferred structures with the usual um, economics and governance rights. But separately from that, we've seen the growth of two other types of investments in a way that I think has been very significant in the last year as compared to prior years. The first, of course, is investments very close to a public exit. This has certainly been created or fostered in part by the DSPAC market. There are a lot of companies, I think, who two or five years ago at the stage in their life cycle as private companies that they're at now would not have been considering a public exit. But now they're sitting here looking at the public markets as a real significant opportunity and perhaps need to bridge the gap from today until the date of a public exit when they get another cash infusion through the corresponding pipe. And so that has created a market in which corporates, private equity, and traditional venture capital are coming in late stage and perhaps not getting what you would normally see in a usual way, growth equity investment in terms of governance rights and the like. And it's much more focused on the economic play and any discount the investor might get going into a public exit. And then the second theme we're seeing, and Nigel referenced this as well, moving away from the traditional growth investments in the U.S. is emerging markets near and dear to the U.S., and in particular in Latin America. We're seeing a lot of interest in Brazil, in particular from traditional institutional investors, from corporates, from venture funds, and I expect that market to grow significantly. The last theme that I'll flag, and you both referenced it as well, is the emergence of corporates as real leaders in the minority investment space. We're seeing a lot of corporates worldwide selling assets that are not performing. And this is very much not our tech clients. It's our historical corporates and industrials and manufacturers and the like who are selling assets around the world and looking to the U.S. and other jurisdictions to really buy growth. And this is often done in the form of minority investments to get access to R&D and the like and to commercially partner with companies without having to make a decision quite yet to buy them wholesale. So the result of that, and, and we can talk about it later in this segment perhaps, is that I think investors are going to have to approach investments with a different view often than they have in the past. There is not a single playbook for the traditional venture investor who would hand over a term sheet that worked for almost every growth equity investment with the same consent right requests and the like. The stage, the jurisdiction, the proximity to exit is now going to matter a lot in creating a differentiation of structures for traditional investors who are used to looking at this in, I think, a more simple way. 
They're all fascinating themes. And I think from the European point of view, I would echo much of what you've said. I think the profile of the growing markets that investors in each of our geographies might look at might differ somewhat. But aside from that, there are some very similar themes. And I'm quite interested in what you've just been talking about, Andrea, around the involvement of corporates alongside VCs and indeed private equity players playing at different stages in these minority investments and how each of these types of players looks at the term to exit and indeed exit itself. So it's certainly our experience that we've seen some companies when they're getting ready to come to the exit stage, whether that's by way of sale or into a public market, they have very, very significant cap tables with a vast range of types of investors in there with a huge variety of rights which is, I think, what you're reflecting. Is there anything you'd say from the experience you've had just recently, and as we go into 2022, whether you think there are particular themes in terms of how these funding rounds are occurring, or the involvement of corporates in there, or indeed the sort of larger private equity players coming in at an earlier stage? Is that driving a particular thematic difference, do you think, in how the governance rights are arranged around those growing companies? Nigel, maybe I'll come to you with that to see if that's a theme that you're seeing. Yeah, look, Natasha, it certainly is. And we've actually seen it for a number of years in markets across Asia. It's become more pronounced. And that's, I guess, the battle of the mid-stage, where we've seen, you know, historically VC investors coming in at VC and angel at sort of seed and A rounds and the regional private equity mid-market coming in through B and C. And then once the business has scale, and it's profitable and sort of later stage. We've seen more VC funds raising more money to come and play in sort of the mid-stage and the BC rounds when businesses have actual scale and they're putting real checks on the table. And then more corporates looking to get in earlier as well. So there's a real, as you've identified, a real clash because often those rounds would happen separately. And I think in combination with that, you see founders and issuers. The product, is, as Andrew was saying, is certainly not commoditized anymore. They're savvy and sophisticated around what sort of capital they want, what sort of partner they're looking to pair up with, and and that both in terms of financial skill set for our for P investors or or VC to an extent who can help scale the business and help it with efficiencies and, and know how to grow businesses, particularly towards public market exits. But on the flip, working with a corporate who's potentially vertically or horizontally already in your ecosystem and brings strategic and commercial benefits is also very attractive. So we're seeing a, a mix and attention developing in the way that some of those rights will play out. And from a corporate's perspective, they'll often be looking for, ultimately, if they like the business, take the business because they see it as part of, as I was saying, buying growth, getting scales. And that's very difficult, I think, in, in some of the markets we work in to negotiate because there's so much capital that you don't really come from a position of huge leverage. So I think that the focus is on trying to work with, on strategic combinations and to be as a corporate sitting in the right place and having a seat at the table and being someone who you have a presumptive conversation with because, and I'm sure we'll come on to it in due course, exits in terms of life cycle are, getting, are, are very difficult in our part of the world or they come with their challenges and so yeah having a corporate in your hip pocket as an alternative for a trade sale which may not be attractive to sponsors is certainly something that that issuers can be focused on 
Another point I think around corporate investing in my experience is that it often brings forward sometimes a greater focus on some of the regulation that you referred to earlier for the growing company, because the corporates very often come with less flexible principles, if you like, and policies around what they can do with companies they're investing in, in terms of their compliance programmes and things like this. So some of that tends to get brought forward. But Andrea, I should come back to you and ask you whether that's something you would echo, what Nigel has been saying from the US point of view in your experience. Yes, I would definitely echo that. And it's interesting what Nigel was talking about in terms of the focus of corporates more on their own strategic interests and their own potential ability to take over these companies. Because the next sentence to that, right, is, the corporates are perhaps less interested in the bells and whistles of economics and in some cases governance, right, than the traditional institutionals may have been. The corporates will want to have a director or observer on the board for access to information and for a strategic say, again, in what the company is doing on a day-to-day basis. The corporate may want certain consent rights over material transactions, in part those that will affect it, but I think they're less likely going to come in and argue about anti-dilution protections or things like that that a a traditional financial investor is going to be used to, and even waterfalls and liquidation preferences and those types of issues. So the result is that you have these corporates coming into these cap tables, and often the companies will be looking to the corporate to lead around. And What I think we may see a lot more of in 2022 as corporates continue to play in this space, you know, Nigel's talking about partnerships between investors and the company itself. I think we're going to also see more partnerships between corporates and either one or more private equity partners, one or more venture partners, where the corporate and the financial can come in together and the financial can take the lead really on the focus on the economic terms and the more traditional governance discussions we have these investments, and the corporate can then focus on its own strategic commercial partnership and potential future ability to take over the company interest. Great. So I have another question I'm keen to ask before we get to the end of our discussion. You've both talked about investment increasing into growing markets. I just wonder whether you're seeing any themes about the types of sector that that investment is going into? Because typically we're talking about tech-driven businesses, but some of those will sit in sectors that are at the forefront, if you like, of being disrupted and modernised through the use of technology. And I wonder if either of you have any spots for 2022 in terms of where you think a lot of this activity might come. I think investment into tech is certainly going to continue. I think what we're going to be seeing first in tech itself is diversification within tech. So all the focus in the last year, right, has been on last mile delivery. So where do we go next within that particular segment? I think we're going to see a lot of emergence of companies now focused on first mile delivery and on the middle segment. And so what was, you know, the big hot topic of last mile in the last year is going to itself broaden and present more opportunities for investors. I think that leads more broadly to a whole discussion about the supply chain. I think that there are going to be new emerging players on the target side, or the company side, better said, um, that are focused on 
logistics and supply digitization in a way that we've not seen before. The pandemic has presented, I think, the world with a a mandate now to fix that. And so I think that's going to be an area where we're seeing a lot of investments. And then, of course, the life sciences space, the agri-tech space, I think that's going to be an area in particular in the U.S. and in Europe where we're going to see a lot of investing in 2022. I can only echo Andrea's comments. I think that's sort of something that we're consistently seeing across Asia. We will see within those sectors, particularly sectors like payments, where there's been a lot of activity and and the focus across a number of growth markets has been in, in using technology to effectively take generational leaps and delivering services and infrastructure across countries where that those services and infrastructure haven't necessarily been there before. And a lot of that has come through financial services. But I think we'll see consolidation across those sectors because there are an awful lot of players with funding. And we have seen in the Southeast Asia region mergers of equals, growth businesses pulling together, Gojek and Tokopedia merging to form Go2 to potentially look at sort of that global scale and looking at public markets. And we've worked with clients on, again, mergers of equals in some parts of the consumer space the consumer tech space that have actually been more stressed through the last two years than other parts of the consumer space, which have obviously moving very quickly and advancing rapidly. I can also, I guess, as a final thought, see sentiment moving more towards sort of hard tech, sort of as Andrew said, maybe more B2B sitting in the, in the middle. We've seen a lot of last mile. So that first mile focus will certainly come through. And we know from trying to read the tea leaves and in some jurisdictions that there is government concern and scrutiny on inflated valuation of consumer-facing businesses, and there would be a preference for investment and investors to invest in hard technology that could potentially grow the economy in a more meaningful way. And so as a theme, maybe that's something we'll see. And again, that, that still falls firmly in the tech camp, but it's just a very different focus for an investor, looking at proper technology rather than e-commerce businesses, basically. And I would say that from a European point of view, hard tech, fintech, life sciences must be at the top of the list, I think, for 2022 in terms of focus of investment. Well, it's been great having this discussion and there's lots more we could draw on for further discussions around diversification of players, the stages of investment, partnering and these very interesting active sectors and indeed geographies. So I very much hope we can continue the conversation at a later stage. Thank you.